to your team then, uh, that's great. Thank you so much guys for leading worship for us this morning, what an excellent job, a fairly quiet uh, summer Sunday coming to a church you don't know, people you don't know leading worship, not the easiest thing in the world, so thank you so much and uh, Rob, uh, thank you so much for all you've done for King's Church, for us personally, um, we just want to bless you as you go, I believe God's got great things for you down by the water. Uh, Okay, well, and uh, <clears throat> forgive my voice, uh, I thought I'd nearly lost it this morning, uh, but it seems to be there, so if I'm a bit croaky, that's all that is. Let me pray, and then uh, I'll, I'll get on with speaking this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, for your love to us. We thank you that you really do know best, and uh, you really do know the best thing for our lives, and you're in charge of our lives. And right now, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you... Open up our ears. Would you open up our minds? We want to hear what it is that you want to say to us this morning. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my subject this morning is the uh, Holy Spirit. So I'm pleased about that. It fits in very well with what Rob said. I recently came across a quote that stopped me in my tracks. It grabbed my attention, got me to read it and read it again. I put it in your notes. It'll come up behind me. And it uses six uh, words, all beginning with the letter D, to ram home its point. Let me read it for you. Pick up the Ds with me. <clears throat> Thanks, Helen. If we are not disillusioned with how much we have allowed our talk to pass for our walk, discontented with the amount of spiritual fruit we are truly bearing, and disappointed by the impotence of our own efforts, we will never be distressed enough to really plead with God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. If we're not disturbed by how little we can do in our own power, we'll never be desperate enough to ask for his. If we're not disturbed by how little we can do in our own power, we'll never be desperate enough to ask God for his. Did you pick up all those Ds? Disillusioned, discontented, disappointed, distressed, disturbed, all leading to desperate. Now, those kind of words often, being disillusioned or discontent, disappointed, so often leads to frustration, leads to inactivity, leads to giving up. But this quote says that if we are those things about maybe the character of God being formed in our lives, which I don't know about you, but for me seems to be a very slow process. I'm going to be 50 next year. And I've been a Christian since I was like 13, 14. And I still feel that it's such a slow process, the character of God being formed in my life. Or if we're frustrated or disappointed, disillusioned about the amount of fruit that we're bearing for the kingdom. Or maybe we come to that moment of realization where we thought we could do all things and then we realize we can't really do many things at all in our own strength. It says that actually this quote says that should lead us to be desperate for something, not desperate to give in and to stop and to find a cave to go and kind of hide away in. But this quote says be desperate enough to ask God to fill us with more of his Holy Spirit, desperate for more of the power of God to be manifest, to be made known in us and to work through us. And this morning, that's really what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what happens when people get filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens around people who are filled with the Holy Spirit? 
And is that some of the answers to these kind of questions? And as there were six Ds in the quote, I thought I would go for six moments, if you like, in the New Testament just to bring this point home. So it's a little bit of a skip through the New Testament this morning, mostly in Acts, but also in other places. The verses are all on your sheets. Hopefully they'll come up behind as well. So number one, Peter and John. The context of this is that Peter and John are heading off to a temple and they're going there to pray. And there's a man who has been unable to walk since birth, right? He has been a cripple since birth, cannot walk. And he's being carried to the temple to go and beg because that's how he gets money. And this crippled man, he asked Peter and John for money. And they turn around and say to him, silver and gold we don't have. But what we have, we give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. It's good that, isn't it? Uh, it really is quite amazing. And they go into the temple courts and they're praising and the man's jumping. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Imagine you'd never walked and suddenly you can walk. I mean, oh, mommy ankle. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should not have done that. I'm going to pay for that later. Maybe Jesus will heal me. Uh, but they're praising God. They're just amazed. They're walking. And the people are all amazed. And Peter and John preach the gospel. And the crowds are amazed. But then the authorities get upset. And they arrest them and they throw them in prison. And the next day they drag Peter and John out of prison. And they kind of line them up, you know, in the public square before the rulers and the elders to explain it. And it says in Acts 4 verse 7, it says this. They had Peter and John brought before them, began to question them. By what power or name? Did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we've been called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It's a great answer, isn't it? Isn't it? You crucified, but God raised him to prove that you were wrong. <laughs> it's really what they're saying to them. Let's just have a look at, at really what's going on here. The result, if you like. The first thing is uh, they're being kind. It's interesting. This mighty miracle, and it was a mighty miracle, actually is an act of kindness on God's part, but also on Peter, John's, Peter and John's part to pray for them. See, because it's... It's, it's motivated by compassion for this man. He actually wasn't asking God to heal him at, the, at that time. But motivated by compassion, God stirs them to pray. Then motivated by compassion, prays in Jesus' name, and the man is healed. Second thing we see is that the sick are healed. This man, unable to walk, suddenly can walk. Absolutely life-changing. And the second result, or the third result that we see, is that they preach the gospel without fear to the very people whom just a little while ago had crucified Jesus, nailed him to the cross. And that would have been their default for anybody else who preached in his name. They look them in the eye and tell them. They don't, they, they don't, they don't just say, God healed this man. They say, do you know what? Jesus, whom you crucified... I mean, can you hear the gulp? Ooh. Jesus, whom you crucified, crowds, rulers, 
people standing before me. You crucified him, but God, God, who raised Jesus from the dead, has healed this man to prove that you were wrong. But this is a life and death, Peter and John. That This is life and death situation for them. And yet they preach the word of God boldly because they're filled with the Spirit. Second example, the believers. The result of this kangaroo call was that Peter and John are ordered by these same rulers and authorities to stop speaking about or in the name of Jesus. And they refuse to. They say, we can't. We can't stop speaking about that, what we've seen. And so the authorities threaten them a second time. But they have to let them go because the people, the crowds, are rejoicing over this man who was lame but can now walk. And so the the religious leaders, the authorities, they're scared of the crowd. And so they threaten Peter and John. They threaten them. They order them not to speak anymore. But then they let them go. So Peter and John go back to the other believers. They report everything that's happened, including the orders not to speak and the death threats. And it says the believers responded by raising their voices as one to God, asking for boldness to preach and the ability to perform more signs and wonders. It says in Acts 4, 31, 32, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So let's again look at what's going on in and around them through people filled with the Holy Spirit. First one to notice says they spoke the word of God boldly. They were not put off by the threats or the orders. They spoke the word of God boldly. Second one, notice that there is unity. It says all the believers were were one in heart and mind. Being filled with the Holy Spirit gave this group a unity together. They may have looked different, may have been different shapes, sizes, sex, color, etc., etc., but they have all given their lives to Jesus and been filled with the Holy Spirit. They are all one together before him. That's what this says. And then third thing, there is a generosity because suddenly the things that they owned, they didn't consider just to be theirs, but they were willing and able to share it with others as they had need. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Third example is from Paul. Now we know Paul, his name first was Saul, then he met God, he got a name changed to Paul, Saul, Paul. But just to understand the context, there's this guy named Saul, and he's on his way to Damascus, and he's going there to persecute and take prisoner any Christians that he finds, right? That's what he's doing. He's going to Damascus, he's got letters, I'm going to go and find and imprison and persecute any Christians I find there in Damascus. But God shines a light from heaven on him, knocks him off his horse, and Jesus basically stands over him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I should imagine that would be another moment when the Adam's apple went in terms of Saul. And his companions pick him up, and they take him to Damascus, and they sit him down, and he's blind for three days, and he, he can't eat. I mean, he's just had his whole world completely turned upside down, is he not? And meanwhile, in Damascus, in another part of the city, there's a guy there called Ananias, and God says to him, uh, Ananias, I want you to go to this guy called Saul, 
And Ananias is, hmm, God, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, that's the guy who's coming here to kill us. Are you sure you want me to go and see him? God says, no, no, go see him and do what I tell you to do. So it says in Acts 9, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. Now, again, the result of what happens to Saul here. The first one is that he got physical sight, but he actually also got spiritual sight. See, the two are connected here. The reason why he is physically going and persecuting the Christians is because spiritually he doesn't realize who they are and who their God is. But actually, when God comes and speaks to him, shines a light, knocks him off his hall, Jesus speaks to him, he gets filled with the Spirit. Actually, he, he not only gets physical sight back, but it's actually representative of the spiritual sight that he's now got. He now understands who Jesus is. He now understands who God is. And so we see one of the results then is obedience. Because it says straight away, he got up and was baptized. We're having a baptism at Otford Manor, which is great. We're having two baptisms here the Sunday afterwards, which is great, great. Because baptisms are always great. Because it's people identifying, now I'm a follower of Jesus. I was dead, I didn't know him, but he's done something in my life, and now I do know him. So baptisms are as important today as they were then. But if you put yourself in Saul's position, the first thing that he does once he gets saved and filled with the Spirit is out of obedience, he says, I'm going to be baptized. I am going to publicly declare that I am now a follower of Jesus. I am now going to publicly declare that I'm one of those people that three days ago I was coming along the road to kill. I am now going to stand up publicly and be baptized because I'm following Jesus. That's the transformation in Saul's life. The fourth one I wanted to look at again is Paul a little bit later on. We, we, we really see him there just being saved. But here he is a little bit later on. And he's with a guy called Barnabas. And they're on a mission trip. And they are in Cyprus. And there's a guy there who is ruling on behalf of Rome. Cyprus is part of the Roman Empire. And they get a guy there called Sergius Paulus, who's the pro-council. He's in charge of Cyprus on behalf of the Roman Empire. And the Bible says that he's interested in meeting Paul and Barnabas because he's interested in God. But there's one of his advisors who's a sorcerer called Elymas. And he's trying to stop this pro-council from hearing the gospel. And so Saul, <coughs> or Paul, says this. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, thanks, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, very important that bit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Mm. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to 
not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about Jesus. So again, let's look at the result of what happened here in terms of Saul or Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit. What was he able to do? The first thing he was able to do was to know God's heart on this matter. He didn't just call him a child of the devil because he was calling him names. God had clearly revealed this to him. You are a child of the devil and you stand for everything that is not right. Right? God revealed to him what God's heart was on this matter and what he wanted to say to this man, Elymas. And then he's able to declare his decision on it. God's decision is that his hand is now against you and you are going to go blind. And then he has the ability to, to if you like, to, to see God's power come and bring it about. Darkness came over him. He knew what God's heart was. He declared it and he spoke it and God did it. And the result of all that is that the proconsul gets saved. This mighty miracle here means the proconsul gets saved. Actually, the Bible's clear to say he doesn't get saved because he saw the miracle. He, he was amazed, but it was the teaching about Jesus that got him saved. The miracle opened up his ears to what they needed to tell him, but he still needed to hear the gospel about Jesus in order to get saved. I love this little bit. I love that little story in the Bible. That's Paul a little bit later on. Fifthly, the disciples. The context of this is that Paul and his companions go to preach in a synagogue, and the effect is so great that the following week, the whole city comes out to hear them. And this makes the religious leaders jealous because of the number of people that are coming, and they start to contradict them, and they start to abuse them. But, but lots of people get saved. And so a whole load of people aren't happy that a lot of people get saved. And it says this in Acts 13. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now just think about this for a minute. One of the results, one of them I put down as freedom because they end up being persecuted and expelled, which I don't think was the anticipated end result they wanted for this evangelistic crusade. I suspect they wanted to stay, preach the gospel, form a church. That seems to be what they did. And yet here, suddenly, kind of just as they're starting to see success and some fruit, they're persecuted and they're expelled. And yet, you know, they're not going to take the rejection, and the disappointment with them. They're not, they, they, they literally shake off their, the dust off their feet. They're not going to take any of the rejection, which the, it's the people that have rejected God. The people in that sense haven't rejected them. They were just being obedient to proclaim the word of God boldly. They were just being obedient. The people didn't receive it, but they're going to shake the dust off their feet. They are, they are literally free. They could have been disappointed, they could have been frustrated. They could have walked away and thought, oh, well, God, clearly you're not in this. We're just going to stop this missionary journeys and go back home. But no, no, they know that they've done the right thing. They've done what God wanted them to do. They've preached the words with grace and boldly. 
And so now, how the people have re responded is down to them. And so they are literally able to shake the dust off. They are able to be free and go to the next place, which is what they do. And in fact, more than that, because God is so pleased with them that he fills them with his Holy Spirit and with joy. They actually get joy, not because of the number of people that got converted, but because they were obedient to what God wanted them to do. And finally, just one from the church. <coughs> There's a letter here to the Christians in, the, in Ephesus, and the Christians are being exhorted to follow God's example and to be obedient, to lay down their lives for Jesus. And they, it says there, there shouldn't be any hint, even not even a hint of any sin among you, any greed among you, no sexual immorality, because we were once in darkness, but now we're in light. We used to act like that, but now we're saved. We don't want to act like that. When we acted like that, we were reflecting, we weren't reflecting Jesus, but now we're saved. We want to reflect Jesus. He didn't do those things, so we mustn't do those things. So it says this, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again here, I think the, you know, we, we, can, we can conclude that being filled with the Spirit partly enables us to do some of these things, to live as wise, not unwise, to make the most of every opportunity. Opportunities come and they go, and you kind of got to grab the most of them. I was in the petrol station Saturday morning. The lady in front of me was struggling to pay her £9.99 because her card wouldn't work. She couldn't work out whether it was the card. The man behind the counter couldn't work out whether it was his machine. She didn't have any other change. The queue was growing, and in typically English fashion, was just quietly murmuring a you know, away, as a queue built up, six, seven, eight people. She didn't have any change. She didn't, so in the end, she's like, I'll run back to the car. I think my husband might have some change, but he may not. I don't know what I'm going to do. So in the end, I thought, oh, I'll seize the moment. I said, I'll pay for her. And the whole place went quiet. All these little moans and grumbles just stopped. I said, oh, it's only a 10. I don't worry. It won't kill me. I sat my card in. I said, I'll pay it. Well, do you know what? The whole atmosphere changed in the shell garage. Suddenly, oh, that's a, that's a lovely thing to do. That's a lovely thing. That's a, that's a nice thing to do. That's a nice thing. So, honestly, the very same people that have been, oh, terrible, end of the world. I can't believe it. I'm here getting my polos and I can't pay. All that. Suddenly, oh, it's lovely. It's good to be alive. <laughs> but I felt God prompted me to pay for her. And it changed the entire atmosphere in the place. But do you know what? You've got to seize the moment. A little bit later, would have been gone. The minute would have been gone. Always be thankful to God through Jesus, worshiping together. We see these things. We see what Paul is saying. Be filled with the Spirit and do these things. Don't get drunk on wine. Do a whole load of stuff that God doesn't want you to do. So what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? When the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit and encourages us to be filled with the Spirit, what are we asking for? Well, Wayne Grudem, a famous theologian, puts it like this. He says, it's an event subsequent to conversion in which a believer experiences a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit that may result in a number of consequences, including, number one, greater love for God, number two, greater victory over sin, number three, greater power for ministry, 
In other words, greater ability to be able to do the kind of stuff that God wants you to do for him. Or number four, the receiving of a new spiritual gift. See, every Christian receives the Holy Spirit when they're saved, and that is the greatest miracle. But in the New Testament, there are examples after examples of Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit, often long after they were saved. And those same Christians being filled with the Spirit and then being filled with the Spirit again and then being filled with the Spirit again and then being filled with the Spirit again. There is this, there is this exaltation to go on being filled with the Spirit. Even the tense of that, 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 that verb is go on being filled. Be continuously, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to love God more, have greater victory over sin, greater power for ministry, I need the Holy Spirit. Well, you may not, but I do. I think the early disciples did. I think that's why, if you read the New Testament, understanding that, every few lines, it seems, filled with the Spirit, they were filled with the Spirit, they were filled with the Spirit, they were filled with the Spirit. That's why I took the time to read them out to you. I could have just read the stories. But actually, the point is, what fueled the stories? The fuel of the stories was being filled with the Spirit, which is why I think God got it written down. And they did this, filled with the Spirit. And he said this, filled with the Spirit. And they preached the Word of God boldly. Filled with the Spirit. Are you getting it yet? Filled with the Spirit. But if I had to boil it down to two main, if you like, uh, reasons to be filled with the Spirit, I would put it down as Spirit-empowered worship and Spirit-empowered witness. See, in that example in Ephesians, Paul is urging the church, don't be intoxicated with alcohol, be intoxicated with God. Don't get full of spirit and wine and beer and gin and vodka and whiskey and all that lot, but be full of God and his Holy Spirit. Because when we are, we can praise him. We can worship him. We can, like it says, sing and make melody in our hearts. When people get drunk on other spirits, they do sing loudly about all kinds of rubbish. They declare their undying love for the football team of choice. Or maybe they're in dying love for the person next to them. I really love you. I'll always love you. Ooh, I really love, that's what they do, they just get drunk, declare a whole load of stuff. But the Bible says when we get full of the Spirit, we will actually declare praise to God. We will declare how great Jesus is. We'll actually open our mouth and something worthwhile will come out. We need to be filled with the Spirit so our hearts can overflow with love for God. Whether we're having a good day, a bad day, a good week, a bad week. We need to be filled with the Spirit so we can enjoy the grace that he's made available to us, so we can glorify him, so we can experience the satisfaction of being what we are, which is redeemed and chosen and free and adopted as sons and daughters. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we might be intoxicated with God and empowered to worship him as he deserves. And then the second Main reason. So if you put you know, one part under worship, I'll put the other part under spirit-empowered witness. In a number of those examples, we looked at the purpose or the fruit of people being filled with the Spirit was so that they could witness about who Jesus is. Those early Christians facing death threats, yet they're still able to witness boldly. In fact, they pray, their prayer meetings are about asking God for courage and boldness to be able to to preach, and to minister signs and wonders. Listen, if we were persecuted, I wonder whether we'd be down Amy Road playing, God, please stop it. 
God, please stop them doing these horrible things to us. But what we read in the page of our New Testament, they're not doing that. They're saying, God, help us to preach the word boldly. Help us to pray that more lame people would get healed. More deaf people could hear. More blind people could see. If you or I are afraid to share the gospel because of threats or disapproval or scorn, whether it's real or imagined, we need to get desperate with God to ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Because if we are afraid and we don't ask God to help us to overcome the fear by the Holy Spirit, we will become silent. And if we as individual Christians become silent, so the church becomes silent. And if the church becomes silent, nobody is proclaiming the gospel, guess what? People are not going to get saved. Our silence would mean that people who need to hear this message will not hear it. I was reading recently, somebody had put down that Jesus' life was like a, a parable, like a story of God, because he was so full of God. He was so obedient, so representative of God, that when they met Jesus, they met God. His life story was the story of God in his life. Jesus' life story, Jesus' life's narrative. What you got if you met Jesus was you got God because he was so full of God. I think that's really what happens when we read the stories and the accounts of people meeting Jesus. They end up meeting God because Jesus is so full of God. He's full of the Holy Spirit, complete obedience. See, when you meet people, you and I, we get to receive something of what they're full of. So when you meet somebody who is full of themselves, what do you get? You get them, don't you? You get how they're doing, what they've achieved, what they'd like to achieve. They're full of themselves, and what do you get? After two minutes, you get them. You get a lovely, great big dose of them. And if you try and talk about anything else, what do they do? They go and find somebody else to talk about. If somebody's full of criticism, what do you get when you talk to them? The criticism, the critical spirit, the critical... It's the same with anything. What we're full of is, in essence, what we give. And what we're full of is what people receive when they encounter us. Jesus was full of God, full of the Holy Spirit. And so when people encounter, they encountered God through Jesus. Because he was like a parable. It's like a living story. Like a walking, talking story of the effect of God in his life. But when people met him, they encountered something of God. Now, here's the great news. We're called to be parables of Jesus. We're called to be walking, talking, living stories of Jesus in our lives that when people meet us, they do encounter us, but actually they encounter somebody far better than us. They encounter something of Jesus. We're imperfect. We know that. They know that, right? But somehow, through us, somehow through what he's done in our life, they encounter something of him through these imperfect vessels that is our life. And so our life story needs to be the story of Jesus in our lives. And I don't think any of us can make that happen unless the Holy Spirit does it. I can't. I've been trying for 49 years. I've failed. You can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit moving, changing, transforming, doing something in our lives is going to bring us to a place where actually others can encounter Jesus 
as they encounter us. Let me give you a silly example from last week. I took Jaron from um, America back. He was here preaching last Sunday because he was over for a conference. I took him back to Sidcup where he was meeting up with the two other Americans. One of them was preaching in their six o'clock service. And I thought I'd just drop him off. I'll take him, I'll drop him off. Because I've been at this conference for three days, and then we had church on Sunday morning. So I've, you know, I've worshipped, and I've heard a lot of messages, and I can go home. I'll drop him off. I get there, and I think, no, I won't drop him off. I'll stay for the service. I know a few of the people at the Sidcup Church. I know the other American guys. It'll be good for me to stay. So I sit right around the corner, like the stage is there. I'm sitting right around the corner here, kind of watching on, you know, listening, worshipping. Thought, should I bring a word? No, didn't feel right to do Listen to the preach. Oh, yeah, that was okay. It was a good preach. Just coming to the end of it, and I'm thinking about going home, having ice cream. Will I catch up with the World Cup? Whatever, whatever. You know, I'm really spiritually on fire. <laughs> not my church. It's not Sunday. I'm not praying. But yeah, I'm just, I was just a taxi driver. I'm just a taxi driver. Really, it's not my style. I don't know. You know, they'll be off soon. I'm here like this. This is going through my mind. Ice cream, World Cup. World Cup, ice cream. And I'm suddenly aware that just down behind me, from the offices behind, a guy about my age is pushing an old lady who turns out to be his mum. She must be in her 80s, in a wheelchair. And they come and they stop right behind me, just there. And the stage is there. And I'm standing there. I suddenly realise, probably just sat there looking at my bum. It's not very nice, is it? She says, you can't see the stage. So I turn around and sure enough, she's sat there in the wheelchair about two feet behind me. And the only view she's got is my bum. Oh, well, this can't do. So I kind of smile at her and stand next to her. You know, as if there's the stage. Thanks very much. I think no more of it. And as I look at her, I feel God say to me, I want you to, I'm going to use you to speak to that lady. <laughs> no, ice cream, World Cup. <laughs> ice cream, World Cup. God, I don't know. It's not my church. I'm just a taxi driver. Anyway, so I'm standing there and thinking, oh, I wonder. They go for a response at the end. She puts her hand up to be prayed for, to be healed. And a guy who's one of the leaders in the church that I know comes across with a lady. They start praying with, for her leg. But I still stand next to her and I've kind of, I don't want to get involved. It's not my church. I don't want to get involved. Uh, ice cream, well cut. I don't really want to get involved. He's doing a great job praying for a leg, but I can't help the fact that God said, I want you to get involved. So I, I kind of hover, you know, in a Christian manner, look <laughs> interested. They're trying to work out who she is. They don't know who she is, where she's, you know, come from, where she's been before. Then they pray for a leg, and I just feel God's compassion for her. I just feel God basically saying that he loves her, he knows her, uh, he, she, she's not there by accident. And all this stuff. So when they finish praying for her, she's got her head kind of quietly like that. And when they finish praying for her, they're going to get her detail. And I look at her and I say, excuse me, can I just pray something for you? She said, yeah. So I start to pray, God, thank you that you know this lady, that you love her, that you, that you know everything about her, that you knew her since she was knitted together in her womb. All that. She bursts into tears. She just, ooh, just floods of tears. Mmm, ice cream, uh, well cut, uh, so she looks at me, and, and I look, and I realize this is a God moment. He's taken the ordinary to make it a, an extraordinary God moment. And she looks at me, and she says, do you know anybody? I said, do you know anybody in this church? She said, I know nobody, but I came a lot of years ago, and uh, there was a guy called Mike Hewitt, but I'm sure nobody here knows him. So I look at her, I say, I know Mike, and I know his brother Mark. She starts, she bursts into tears again. Because there's one person probably in the room that knows the one person that she knows from about 35 years ago, and it's me. 
And so I look at her, I say, do you know what? I said, I was only here for the taxi driver. I'm thinking about World Cup and ice cream, really. It's not even my church, but God brought me here tonight to speak to you and to tell you some things that he loves you and he knows you and blah, blah, blah. And I suddenly realized in that moment, God, you wanted that lady to encounter you and somehow you want to use an idiot like me in it. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He wants us to be so full of him that as we go around, right, maybe having good days, bad days, perfect, imperfect, whatever, 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 somehow we will have our ears open that he will be able to use us to encounter people like that. Down the garage, maybe in a church one Sunday morning, might be where you work, might be at your school place. You, I don't think we can make this up. All we can do is ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit and then be open to whatever he says. The wonderful news is that God loves to give his Holy Spirit to those who ask. Luke eleven ten. for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks the door will be opened. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you feel dry this morning, weary, if your worship seems distracted, if you're lacking in gratitude for God, if you don't feel there's much internal fruit, external fruit, I want to say you are a good candidate for being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit's role to speak and move in those kind of circumstances. In fact, your dryness may well be the thing that God is allowing in order to get you desperate before him. Because sometimes, like I said in that quote at the beginning, it's our disappointment and our disillusion. And when we realize that we can't do this stuff on our own because we were never meant to, that we actually get desperate enough to cry out to God, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, whatever it takes, fill me with your Holy Spirit, because these are the kind of things and the kind of life that I want to live. I wonder, could the band come back up? What we're going to do is we're going to have a song, have a worship song, and if you want to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit this morning, right now, then I want to invite you during this song to come to the front and to begin asking him. Don't wait till the end of the song, because there's no point. Don't wait for someone to come and pray for you, because they don't have the Holy Spirit for you. Someone will come and pray with you eventually, but actually, God is able and willing to fill you with his Holy Spirit right here, right now, just because you ask. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, come to the front, raise your hands, and begin to ask him. I'm going to pray and then we'll worship, see what God does. <coughs> Father, thank you for this invitation that you make to us, that you will fill all your children who come to ask. And so I simply pray this morning that every one of your children here who comes and asks, you will do as your word says and you will fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be full of you, Jesus, that other people might encounter you as we go about our day-to-day -day lives. So, Lord, we thank you that you've promised it, and now we're expecting, Lord, for you to come and back up your promise, which we know you always do. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Thanks, guys.